0: I don't know about his heroine being saved by a heroine, but I think he needs to start stuffing his fucking gullet with some bacon breakfast sandwiches. I
1: love me some bacon.
0: Well, you have all the bacon that you want to eat tonight. Thank you. But no pork rinds for you.
1: Ugh. Attention, audience. Please heed our secondary scary advisory. Beware this stark broadcast on the surfacing of Drisking's past. It's too late to air what you hear here. For your faded, fallow fear has reappeared.
0: Welcome audience, you stark, shady ladies and dark bent gents, to this chilling, fulfilling horror excursion edition of Kimohawk Sessions. Darker mile marker, an ungory but unsettling, episodic dissection of Q Code Media's best Time Killing, Fear and Stilling, Wine Swilling spine-thrilling, blood-chilling podcast, Barasca, Season 2, which aired October 6th, 2022. Welcome to your 13th scary auditory advisory under the persistent looming shade of the snow-capped, threatening triple tree with this Chemohawk Sessions Spine-Tingling Nerve-Jingling Special, Darker Mile Marker. Mile marker thirteen on this episode's road, her source reveal still feels surreal. Red Devil, can you believe that we have completed almost thirteen of these episodes? Mm,
1: unlucky thirteen.
0: I just am really proud of us because I don't know a whole lot of motherfuckers out there that are listening to a podcast and then putting together some research and creating a podcast about that podcast. Yes,
1: you're you're making very fair points.
0: Part of it is on us for being clever and creative, of course. But the other part of it is I truly believe in the subject matter and the source material. I found Baroska to be such a worthwhile excursion that I think it was worth making people aware of its brilliance.
1: Yeah. Well, you're a true fan.
0: True fan, indeed. And I've even checked out the apparel on Codes website. And unfortunately, the Baroska shit swag is kind of lame. Hmm. But if I ever were to find a really cool Baroska shirt that had, say, the triple tree and like a body falling off of it, or if it was, say, Graham Walker smiling but his shadow across the backyard looks like sinister or something, I would definitely be interested in some Baroska attire. But I say one day, and you tell us, audience, we crank out our own darker mile marker apparel mm. of all of the different Chemo Hawk sessions sessions. Which do you think should get its own shirt?
1: Oh, that's hard.
0: I mean, I know we haven't done chemohawk Confessionals yet, but that could potentially be a good one. But I think Darker Mile Marker would make a really good merchandise mm-hmm. item. I also think
1: we'll white collar black belt. Yeah. Well, in hawk sessions in general, I mean, with Othello, we could do so much.
0: I was just thinking, imagine if there was a white collar black belt t-shirt. It was a white t-shirt with a black tie, just like a black stripe going down the middle, but then it Joins into a black belt around the waist, mm-hmm. but it's all on the t-shirt. Yeah. So like a black tie that's maybe even the same material as a belt, like a black belt, or just a black belt wrapped around the shirt like a bolo tie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But I think it's all brilliant. Today, we inspect, dissect, and reflect on the fourth episode of season two, 13th episode chronologically of Baroska, An Unlikely Tomb. Today Kimber by Jimmy Prescott gets her ass tased but her red-headed ass is dazed not dead and simply grows more crazed she still wants to drive with a trunk load of gats Sam like us is shocked by Kay's source but the heroin needs to run its course get it heroin and heroin
1: mm. very clever
0: and Sam needs to detox fast to face his deadly dad, Chief of the Drisking Police Force. Jimmy proves a fucking rat. He can make sound, sinister, even idle chit-chat. But Kay is not fucking around, as she's a hellcat armed for combat. We learn that Kimber's handler was Graham. JP reminds Sam to get with the program. And sadly, Kay will never need a sonogram. That's fucked up.
2: Yeah, poor okay. K.
0: But I mean, I'm proud of these rhymes, shit. Sam wants to further his goal of patricide. He slays by flushing his drug-fueled demon dragons in stride. Will Sam remain clear-fucking-eyed, or will his junkie-ass backslide? The answer is, you must remember, Driskin's now a snow-covered town. Kimber's love for Sam is so deep, she spares him another Xmas flick. But Kay still thinks to wish him Merry Christmas. But let's be real. She should have said very, wary, scary, find a new mile marker body to bury, Christ mass shooting, for the circumstances here are far, far from fucking conventional. We discuss the bedside manner of a devoted shortcake, dark, drisking intrigue surrounding the missing McCaskies in the mine. A miniature replica treehouse of horrors, and the need for their parolee pal computer hacker, as Graham Walker is no slacker. Neither plot thread nor implied dread is missed, omitted, or otherwise ignored, while this double-digit darker mile marker is...
1: By us.
0: Explored. Now, you might have heard a little bit of Othello whines. Othello desperately wants to be in this room.
1: Very bad. But alas,
0: he cannot always get his way, or else he will run the fray. Replacing snake dragon drugs with shortcakes hugs. Your faux ghost host, falsetto prophet, and one wily redhead getting tased into a daze co-host.
1: Red Devil, and you better not tase me. Sam's on parole, drisking a boar's birth control, and the cold, snowy road takes hold with a
0: bold mile marker. While we host and sit dry wines, read between the misspelled signs on your tour. Of Drisking's mines.
1: Welcome to Drisking, land of one no tell faux hell motel, where bound ladies and their babies sell pay in cash at the faux hell motel, where we rehash old mile markers of Drisking's past with this darker mile marker broadcast.
0: In this next chapter, Jimmy does what he does best: talks mad shit. And we all feel, in our collective tummies, a pit. Mile marker, the MM, should be replaced by BB for Buried Bodies, or remain MM for Missing McCaskies, Michael and Matthew, (gasps) but also Frederick. Twice Twice warned, warned you you were. Note, audience, the cover art is different. There's a scruffy Sam, a chick holding a branch leaning against the tree's trunk, and a cop walking towards their trunk, gun in hand. I will tell you that I like that they are being very deliberate and delaying Graham Walker's presence. He's so involved in the season, but we haven't even interacted with him yet. And I like that. He's like this omnipresent cloud, this black cloud hovering over the city. And he's got deputies out. He's involved. He is up to no good. He's making moves behind the scenes, kind of like Neil Macaulay and Heat. But just because we don't see him and just because we haven't interacted with him, the way that Jimmy Prescott describes him, he is a man to fear. And he is way more involved in this baraska shit than I ever thought, but you apparently had him nailed. But it's like with these real macabre noir quarter flicks and these podcasts, it's best to err on the side of everybody's fucked up until proven otherwise. Today we will be snacking on
1: And sipping.
0: Champagne and Bacon. We will dip the bacon into the champagne. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps not. Either way We'll eat all the bacon we got.
1: I mean, bacon's good in Bloody Mary, so why not champagne?
0: I wish that this champagne was Baroska related but it's not. However, the bacon is linked to the bacon sandwiches, the bacon breakfast sandwiches that Shortcake and Sam have been sustaining life on for several days now. Episode 13 of Baroska is called An Unlikely Tomb.
1: Official episode summary from the Wikipedia slash Spotify Audible summary jacket. The scope of the plan widens as Jimmy Prescott shows up with an offer for Sam. Sam and Kimber prepare for a final showdown.
0: Now, these were the conceptualized contender titles a stink pot in Sam's blind spot, Prescott, Drisking's morbid mascot, and Flushing Dragons. We start. Okay, Red Devil was right. Boom! Graham is a damn shame, and that's insane because he seemed like such a family man and he seemed like such an attentive. Father.
1: I mean, when he held a gun to his son's head at the end of last season, I was like, "Mm, okay, something suspicious here.
0: See, and to me, it made sense because as far as we knew, Sam had beat the shit out of a kid, put him in a coma. He'd been acting erratic for weeks, if not months. He was a drug addict. And his dad thought that he might have even been responsible for Whitney. I basically thought that the fact that Graham didn't kill him and just told him to get out of the car was like, okay, fair enough. Because Sam was like raving, and he'd been raving for a long time. He'd been blaming his dad for Whitney's death for forever. But I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about the fact that he pulled a gun on Sam. I didn't think about that as being that alarming at the time. I thought he just had gotten tired of Sam, you know, acting insane. But maybe you're on something. Well, what's it going to be, kid? Now, that's that Jimmy Prescott terrifying, weird, slimy voice that we love so much. The voice acting of Jimmy Prescott is undeniably great. He is a very memorable character. Love him or hate him, he's memorable. And I cannot believe that Kimber let that wolf into the hen house. Jay motherfucking Prescott, where have you been? You gonna invite me in? Now, I was just telling you, Red Devil, I think that an actor who could play that voice perfectly is Boyd Hallbrook, who was in, like, the Predators movie. He was the the villain in Logan. Yep. He's got that draw that works. Mm
1: -hmm. Almost like Cajun in a way. Yeah, Like Louisiana. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now Sam punches him hard, as the sound effects would suggest, but JP don't give a fuck. A little weak are we, Walker? You sick or something? I think Sam is sick. He's recovering. He's somewhere between withdrawal and a drug-addled state. So Sam is not an athlete form right now. Folks weren't too impressed with your little message on the hill this morning. Now you almost forget about that. But Kimber left that message with the Christmas lights, and we don't know what was said until we're at the Baraska party, and the kids are talking about, oh, and then it says, welcome to Driskin, you know, uh, rapists and murderers, (laughs) etc. So that was funny, Kimber, but if the goal was to shine a bullseye on your your no-tell motel, you've done just that. And then I like how Jimmy talks about how he's the cleanup crew. I'm going to have to ask you to tone it down. Now, he claims that he's been trying to help them. Much like yourself, I am shocked that this is the turn of events. Yes. That Jimmy Prescott is involved, that Kimber has been relying on him for quite a while. We learn ultimately that their reconciliation occurred online because she had been investigating various chat rooms to try to uncover some more of the conspiracy. And Jimmy found her poking around or something to that effect. And he says it's funny when Jimmy drops a little quid pro quo action. That's a fairly sophisticated term for this yokel.
1: That reminds me of my sexual harassment training. Quid
0: pro quo. Oh, is that like when the superior's like, this, this is a quid pro that? quo? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. JP calls her princess. I think he's pushing his luck. Let the men talk. Well, Kimber being Kimber doesn't listen to this. So JP <laughs> just stuns her with a taser and you can hear her going, oh, and it's just, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Wow. They have been trying less lethal stuff at the stables lately. So what's fucked up about this is Jimmy Prescott is the source. And he is involved, but he's still doing the business mm-hmm. that he was doing before that everyone in and fell victim to in some form or fashion. He can give info on Landy's whereabouts, and he's trying to create this separate deal with Sam as Kimber is lying there unconscious. He says he can provide info on the sheriff, too. Now, for those of you that are paying attention, that's Graham fucking Walker. Sam says, look, shithead, your information is false. Baraska doesn't exist anymore. We know because we've been there. Baraska ain't gone. It's just relocated. I've been working on my press Yeah, you have.
1: I mean, I'm thoroughly impressed.
0: Now, JP never wanted this business. He was born into it. He did not start this shit after all. And then we are reminded that hope is a powerful thing. Now, Cleary was useful, says Jimmy Prescott. So he actually would have no reason to want to bring harm upon Cleary. But as you recall, Cleary is dead because of a electrical fire in the house which we have since learned is a very suspicious fire. But he was a useful, loyal business partner. So Jimmy brings up a provocative point. Why would he kill him? And I'm inclined to agree. Now the mine is under new management. And then of course you're already wondering what he's about to say, which is there's a new sheriff in town, kid. Meaning Sam Walker's father. Baroska is doing what the best stories do. The characters involved, no matter how ancillary they may seem are going to play a larger role in the developing plot. And so as big of a world as Baroska was, even though Driskin's a relatively small town, we were introduced to a shit ton of characters in the first season. But now who are we left with? All of the remaining characters that were there every step of the way, they're either dead or they're playing a pivotal role in the plot now. Sam's dad, Graham, taking over Baroska. Jimmy being the mole, Kimber and Sam fighting for their lives. These are characters that we've spent a lot of time with. So I'm glad that they're not pulling just some random asshole, you know, out of the woodwork.
1: Well, and the other thing I'd add is, even though I had suspicions about Graham, I think that they've done a really nice job of still giving you little pieces. Like, I never would have guessed he killed Cleary. They're still able to surprise me.
0: Well, in case you were wondering, Graham did in fact kill Cleary. That's pretty clear at this point. We learn a little bit more about that. Well, why would Graham kill Cleary? Well, it wasn't just as simple as he was just in the way or no, it was... Since Graham has been in charge, Cleary was the one who ultimately gave the order for Whitney to meet the shiny gentleman. And because of that, he had to go. Because it evidently the one child that Graham does love is Whitney. And of course she's gone. Walker killed him for revenge. So just for a traditional staple known as revenge. Now, Walker also wanted to expand this Baroska operation. Why Jimmy Prescott has a bone to pick, probably a human bone, no doubt. Oh is that he was cut out of decision-making. Now, Jimmy Prescott doesn't want to be the ringleader, but he does want to be involved. That much is clear. And so it becomes, just like in the film Alien vs. Predator, enemy of my enemy and all that shit. Jimmy Prescott wants Sam's help in killing Graham Walker. And of course, the way that he explains why he needs his help is believable. Now, Walker burned down Cleary's house, killing both Cleary and his wife. But then he decided to change the business model bigger faster, more money. But Jimmy says, look, I didn't want all that because this was a family business. Now, here's my question. How long has Graham been involved in this operation? Was he involved in this when they were living in the other city of Missouri?
1: I don't know. I mean, I remember us kind of hypothesizing that...
0: Because they had money to move into that big house, but that may not necessarily have anything to do with Baraska.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's connected in some way,
0: but... Do you think that what's going on in Boroska was the reason that Sam or that Graham wanted to move the family there because he saw it as like a lucrative financial opportunity? I, I
1: definitely think that. I think, and maybe we'll find out more later, but obviously Cleary was kind of the head honcho outside of Jimmy Prescott because he was the sheriff. He's the one who like keeps everybody in line. I'm sure there must have been some relationship Between Cleary and Graham at some point, you know, law enforcement, like sometimes you collaborate or whatever.
0: But it makes me wonder because remember that the walkers, he was transferred there. So did he want to be transferred to Mm -hmm. Driskeen or was it just a happy accident that he stumbled upon this operation? I'm not sure. But if he was a normal man, like a normal family man, and then he stumbled onto this operation, I don't see how he could just... Not only be cool with it,
1: yeah, I, but ultimately I don't want
0: to take it over. Right. It just seems weird, yeah. I, but you know what? That's okay.
1: And when he goes missing fairly quickly after they move there, or maybe that's how Cleary sucks him in. I don't know. My mind is well. It's possible
0: though. that we'll get some big reveal at the end of season two, like we did in yeah. season one. They did a good job of answering a lot of the pending questions. Now Walker is not well liked, unlike Cleary. See, clearly was liked by everyone, well, except Kimber, of course. But that's for obvious reasons. He wears a BP vest, that's bulletproof vest, all the time, and he has deputies watching his house. That is why JP cannot kill him. He cannot get close enough, because Walker is either paranoid, or he's clever, or both. I always wondered, with bulletproof vests, why don't they make them with long sleeves?
1: Yeah, I don't know. There must be a reason. I mean, I guess it's just supposed to cover your vitals. Which is funny, though,
0: because your head's still wildly exposed, but it is hard to get a headshot. Just watch any Resident Evil video game or movie. Walker already knows where Sam is. Dun, dun, dun. So he's made a conscious decision to leave Sam and Kimber alone. But it's not as if Sam and Kimber were going to get the drop on anyone. That's kind of fucked up. It's like you thought you were ahead of the game, and then you find out you've been levels behind. It's a game for Walker, we learn, and you don't start playing until you are in the city limits. So evidently, I guess he considers that his domain. So as long as Sam and Kimber are on the outskirts, he doesn't really give a shit. Jimmy is pretty confident that Graham will not kill Sam. And Sam, of course, is like, of course he would kill me. I'm not so sure, kid. I mean, I think you're a soft spot for him or some shit. Now, you leave that to Uncle Jimmy. Does he have to keep referring to himself as Uncle Jimmy? (laughs) Jesus Christ.
1: Creeper.
0: But he says he's got a promising coup in the works, and J.P. evidently has some men on his side. So it's going to be like a civil war of sorts. Now, Kimber was not privy to this. She just wanted to kill Cleary and find Kyle. That's what she was using, the useful idiot that is J.P., K, we learn, as Jimmy tells Sam, was not assigned to Cleary or Jimmy Prescott, but instead that leaves, even though it's unsaid, Graham Walker, he was Kimber's handler, which of course makes Sam vomit immediately. And then of course, Jimmy leaves saying, Red's got my number, text me. One thing at a time, right? That's what Sam has to say about this. They agree that they need Walker dead, not just incapacitated. Obviously, And then, of course, Jimmy says, come on, kid, would I lie to you? It's funny because talking about Sam's drug abuse, Kimber has a great line of dialogue. (laughs) My research suddenly feels woefully inadequate, and I love it. Now, Sam gives her kind of the prep warning. I'm going to be an asshole over the next few days. And I love this scene. She's like, check. And he just goes on this list of all the horrible ways he's going to be to her. And she says, check, check. She clearly cares about Sam. And at this point, who gives a shit about Kyle? I think Sam and Kimber need to be together, but that's just me. No food. Wow. He does not even want a bacon breakfast sandwich. I'm glad I'm not a heroin addict. But the irony here is that Sam trying to recover from heroin requires a heroin. Interesting. She says, let's put on a movie, but it won't even have to be an Xmas one. So she's taking pity on Sam in his wounded state.
1: I would never do that to you. <laughs>
0: the question is, who will Sam be in three days? That's what we want to know. That's what Sam wants to know. And that's what Kimber definitely wants to know. But Kimber will have to stay strong as Sam knew that she would. And then now Sam gets his lucid dreams, per usual. Unfortunately, because of the dreams, he's having hallucinations, and he's acting the fuck up, which is bringing down the attention from the motel manager. But if it's an hotel motel, the manager should leave them alone. You don't ask any questions, right? The motel manager threatens to call the sheriff if they don't keep it down, which immediately Kay is like, okay, we'll be good. Now she's on the phone with Leah Dixon. You can barely hear Leah Dixon. Because Q-Code will do what other podcasts won't do. And it will show this fine attention to detail. Like that is what you would hear if someone else was on the phone but they were close. Where it's like muffled. But you can kind of hear Leah Dixon. There's getting and giving advice. But Leah also clearly cares about Sam. And Kimber cannot stop worrying about him. Now Kimber offers to massage his back. Very kind. Leah Dixon sends a package to them for assistance. Just like Eric did. But remember, Eric's package that's incoming is going to be maple syrup-infused bacon breakfast sandwiches. I'm not sure exactly what Leah's care package will be, but it's probably drugs. Merry Christmas, Sam. Kimber takes the time to tell him. And then we learn through that great, noirish narration that on the fourth day, he woke up, and reality is painfully bright and raw. And on the fifth day, five lords of leaping... No, what's five?
1: Five golden Golden
0: rings. Okay. He ate a breakfast sandwich, though, so that was his golden ring. Now there's a simmering controlled fire of rage that was Sam's speed. Just great dialogue. Then, of course, Kimber's like, I can't believe that fucker tased me. <laughs> and I love how she says, getting tased sucks, by the way. <laughs> it takes me back to high school. Sucks. And Sam missed Christmas. He just completely missed it because he was zonked out. Oh, and then, of course, Kimber wants to guess what the gift is. Ooh, can you, can you tell me what it is? Can I guess? That's Red Devil. Yep. Red Devil doesn't like waiting for gifts. Nope. Sam promises a solemn promise that they will, in fact, get Kyle. She hugs him. He's in pain. He says, ow, why do you have to hug me so hard? Now, they need a plan, not just threads of three different plans. So even though Sam is recovering, he still makes sense. And that's a good line of dialogue. Now, this is the plan. One, Kyle. Two, revenge. Three, Eric's records. Boom, bam, bing. Bada bing, bada bada, boom. Yep. JP caught Kay poking around in message boards. That's how they got in contact, just like I said. Now, it's a matter of discussing, like, okay, with Eric on the phone, I think. Driskin does not have any data centers, right? And Graham has always been really good with computers, Sam tells Eric on the phone. Evidently, Graham helped Whitney build a website for something once upon a time. So that is the worst skill for this corrupt sheriff to have. I'm not afraid of Graham, says Sam. They will stay at the back of the Prince Ridge. The rooms at the back are isolated and discreet, says Sam. And it's hourly shit, i.e. prostitutes. And peeps forget that the rooms are even back there. Now, if you recall, the Prince Ridge is where Sam stayed on the outskirts of town once upon a time when he was being driven out of town. They decided to bring in the arsenal and take inventory of the assets. And there's more Christmas music. Why don't you, Red Devil, share the inventory of the weapons and munitions? Read this line right here.
1: 17 handguns, 2 rifles, 3 shotguns, 4...
0: Bulletproof vests.
1: 430 rounds of ammo. And a partridge in a pear tree. That was
0: funny, Sam. That was a good line of use. Where is Baroska? Sam does not trust Jimmy Prescott. And Kay refers to JP as a useful idiot, which will come up more than once. Now, Sam recognizes the irony. Him recognizing things is kind of a good reminder to throwbacks to things that have already happened. But first, saving Kimber with Kyle was Sam's life. Now, they're saving Kyle. That's Sam and Kimber. They're trying to find Baroska, So they are going to find the one road that is paved, because unpaved roads lead nowhere, but a paved access road will be the road to Barasca. That makes sense. Kimber decides that she needs to teach Sam how to shoot the guns outside of town. Remember when I took you to shoot guns at the shooting range back in Texas? Yeah, Wasn't that fun? Kay named her shotgun, as you should name a car and a weapon, along with a cat, of course, Betty. That's kind of a dumb name, but that's the sawed-off shotgun. They're trying to make polite conversations. Sam asked what life was like when Kimber was in California, specifically Riverside. She said she had a fake ID. She worked some jobs, but she would never try to fly with her fake ID because it's not that great. Kimber wants to do game designs. That's interesting. I guess they played a lot of video games because I know they were big on the PlayStation and whatnot. PlayStation. She bought a drug dealer type phone at the gas station. I guess one of those cricket phones, like pay as you go or some shit. Leah is a great but a terrible parole officer at the same time. She has allowed Dirty pee, missed meetings and leaving the state. How does she still have a fucking job?
1: Because she's awesome.
0: They want to go to Missouri State University after all this. Sam could try engineering, he claims, while Kimber does game design. Now, this sounds like greener pastures that will never come to pass, but who knows? They're
1: definitely thinking about what their lives could have been.
0: Now, Kay says that baggage is just life, and that's a pretty shrewd observation. They do find a plowed road. Uh-oh. But there's nothing up there anymore. Darn. I like that we feel the frustration that the characters feel when they're on these red herrings or these goose chases that lead nowhere. They need to do some more recon. Duh. They will have daylight for a while still. Now, JP, says Sam, takes deals seriously, like how a Lannister always pays his debts, says Kimber, which that's a fairly contemporary connection to like Game of Thrones. Jimmy Prescott, it's like he has a certain honor in at least honoring deals. So it's like he'll honor the deal, but he may try to fuck you over after the deal has been honored, if that means anything. Now we learn that the Butler County cops are not good shots because they don't train, but Graham is a crack shot, just like Paul Walker in the great film The Skulls. He is a crack shot and not to be fucked with. Now it's very windy, as the great Q code sound effects would indicate, so Kay decides to get another scarf. It is a windy-ass mountain, and we see number 78, mile marker. And then of course this leads to a conversation about, um, Sam, did I have a mile marker? Yes, shortcake, you did. Yours was a bed. Now she knows this for the first time, and it's weirdly ceremonial, they talk about. And then they talk, of course, about Whitney and how what remained of Whitney was a dollhouse. Now what we know, though, about Graham is that that means that the dollhouse was left by Graham at this juncture. Now what the fuck is hanging from this tree that they find up on the top of this snowy, windy mountain? Well, it's a normal-sized treehouse, four feet off the ground, but, and this will be a huge throwback, looks like a tiny ambercot. We'll do a cheers for Ambercott bling, bling. because Ambercott has not been talked about in a while, but maybe Ambercott is a homage of this little tree. Who knows? There are creepy dolls rocking. Now, the way they described the scene was fucking terrifying. Shit. There are these creepy dolls like you would see in Annabelle or some shit. They're in this tree. They're decomposed. They're rotting. This is a treehouse that has been around a long time and it's decrepit. And it is ramshackle, and it's fucking shaking in the wind. Like, it could fall out of the tree any moment, if the tree itself doesn't completely fall over.
1: You know what I was thinking about? You probably won't get this reference, but the rest of the potty will. in my mind, when they were talking about the dolls, I was thinking about that doll head attached to the creepy, like, crane set in Toy Story. Super creepy. I'm gonna have to show you a video slash picture of that later.
0: Now, there's red paint. Frederick, Michael, and Matthew McCaskey. Beloved, remembered, avenged the three McCaskey brothers.
1: The plot thickens because we
0: haven't talked about the cave-in or the mines or the misking McCaskey brothers that initiated a whole citywide search once upon a time and led to all this money getting passed around. So we haven't talked about that in a while, but here we are. Now it's an epitaph, a creepy epitaph. I actually hadn't heard that word in a while, epitaph, but there you have it. All four feet off the ground. Don't be a pussy, Sam, says Kimber Shortcake, who apparently lives fast and will die young. But you go in there, Kay, Sam says. Now Sam's lighter saves the day, so I guess we're happy that he's a drug addict in this one instance, because this lighter allowed her to offer some illumination to the dark intrigue of this treehouse. Now Kay, who's inside the treehouse alone, sees something. A big blanket. I wonder if it's a quilt. I wonder if it's a Bucky's blanket from Bucky's. Gas station. <gasps> I want a
1: Bucky's blanket.
0: There are bodies underneath it. Oh my Christ.
1: Dead bodies everywhere.
0: The music is on point in a very big way. I'm loving the music. I'm loving the sound effects. For the entire time that they're in this treehouse, you hear this consistent, unrelenting wind. And it's awesome. I can feel cold through my fucking ear canals. It's the three boys. They were supposed to be lost. What the fuck? They were supposed to be in a caved in mine. What the shit is going on? They're skeletons with caved-in skulls. Why weren't they buried? What the fuck is happening? Oh, this spins us around on our heads. What if the boulder is not mile marker number one? The paint on the side of the treehouse is the same as the other mile markers. Perhaps mile marker zero, as in ground zero? Do I need to change the name of this broadcast? Does it need to be like darker mile ground zero mile marker? Or mile marker zero at ground zero. Zero survive at mile marker zero. <laughs> this is fucking with my numbering oh my system. Uh... The mile markers. Now we don't know this yet. But this is a theory. Now Sam's theories are about 50-50. Half the time he's wrong. Half the time he's right. But the mile markers are tombstones. Suggesting that there is a body of DNA evidence. Being suffocated in the dirt below each tombstone. That is something I never thought about. Yeah. Like as their own little grave sites. It's interesting because it's a mile marker, but it's a marker, like a marker of a grave. I never once thought about that, but that's that fucking is brilliant. Creepy. But then what about the shiny gentleman? Who we've only heard once this season and we haven't seen it used yet. But what about the shiny gentleman? In other words, if they're burying these bodies, what's the purpose of the shiny gentleman? Perhaps that will be revealed in time. They left behind physical evidence, says Kimber. They are fucked. Now, Kay must watch a lot of crime shows, just like this other Red Ned, yep. Red Devil, does, to make such an astute observation. And we get an excellent outro of music. You can still hear the wind howling. Episode ends. Music builds. Now, Red Devil, what are you thinking about Season 2 as it's compared to Season 1? Just give us a brief compare-contrast, in your own words, about where you kind of land on both, and which one do you think has more, instead of re-watchability, re-listenability.
1: I like season two better, honestly. I've, I like both. But, you know, we get the nostalgia thing since they were kids. And we don't really know what Baroska is in season one. But the reason I like season two, it's just bananas. I never know what is going to be revealed, who's going to be coming back into the picture, or what's going to be happening. So I personally think that it's more entertaining because it's less... Anticipatory, what's going to be occurring? Not that I guessed what Veroska was, but I feel like there's more mystery.
0: well, what I liked about the first season was the kids are their kids, they're younger. there is a much more pervasive fear component where it was much scarier, I mean women and white and all this shit, and you had a larger spectrum of voices. You had more voice characters, more voice acting so far, this has been limited to about five voices, but I really do like it, and I really am impressed with the quality of the material. Because at this point, I don't think season two is based on the original source material of C.K. Walker, a.k.a. Rebecca Klingle, because I think hers began and ended with the first season of Boroska as we know it. Mm. So I think this is fresh source material. It's completely original material, I think, but I'm not sure. Stay alive, outrun, outlast for next week's Darker Mile Marker surreal reveal. Mile Marker 14 on this episode's road. Shortcake's source, a Trojan horse. And for you Greek fans out there, you will appreciate that reference.
1: And there was just a Trojan horse commercial for the Super Bowl. Will Sam and the sailor outgrow revenge or slowly grow still more unhinged?
0: Here we'll shed a dying flashlight on freshly painted, but still blood-tainted mile markers.
1: Doubly F-Stars remember... Roadside sights grow starker, each darker mile marker.
0: Twice, Twice warned, warned you were. falsetto and Red Devil. Out.